Great, Justin. So this is the feedback session for uh, the bad answer for the ethics scenario on, um, uh, on a difficult family discussion. So, um, so Justin, I think you, your approach was very earnest. You wanted to engage in the situation as a colleague who, you know, I think that's a commendable quality that you don't shy away from difficult situations. And, um, and I think actually engaging in situations like this is firstly helpful for your progress and also helpful to the rest of the colleagues who, you know, will recognize you as someone who does not shirk responsibility. So I think that's a commendable quality. Um, I think in terms of approaching the situation like this, um, there are several pillars um, of ethics that we must really always uh, stick to. For example, so, um, so information governance is a, you know, it's, it's a very key part of our work. And I think one of the things that I would um, uh, ensure in this situation is to firstly understand the full context of it. So when you're addressing a situation like this, you need to have gone through the notes, understand what discussions were had and who those discussions were with. So clearly the patient has autonomy over, over his or her body. So, you know, if the discussions were made with, in conjunction with the discussion with the patient and the consultant, then that trumps any other discussions that family members may uh, put forward, because clearly that it's not up to the family, it's, a, it's about the patient and their body and the care they receive. Secondly, information governance. So I think it's always important that you mention that you would seek consent from the patient if they are capacitors. And you can always mention how you would mention, you know, how you would address and assess capacity. Um, you know, do they have, you know, can they retain information? Can they understand the information and come up with a reasonable, uh, you know, outcome based on the information you provided? Um, secondly, um, it's always, you know, patients and families can refuse treatment. Unfortunately, they can't demand treatment. And I think it's unfortunately, you know, it is, it's important that you highlight that and you look at this in context. And if you were to um, address a situation like this, it's always important that you escalate it to a more senior colleague and seek a, an opinion. Often, it, you know, as the IMT doctor, you may escalate it to the registrar on call or the consultant on call if, if the registrar is also um, you know, unable to come up with a reasonable solution. Clearly, this is a very uncomfortable situation for you and uh, the family. And in such situations, it's always important that you have the full facts in hand. Now, second, I think from a, from a referral to an intensive care perspective, you can look at it in two ways. Um, clearly, the medical consultant has documented that the patient is not an ITU candidate um, and the family are disputing this. So seeking a second opinion is not unreasonable, but I think it should be done with due diligence by being very open about it. And um, so, for example, if you were to speak to intensive care, I would mention the fact that uh, the medical consultant in the day did not feel that this patient would be a candidate. However, the family would like a second opinion. So being very open about it. And secondly, if, if you are going to, you know, go against a, a more senior colleague's um, plan, then be open about it. Make sure that you uh, escalate that to your senior colleague, mention it to the consultant on call so that uh, they are fully aware of your action. Um, now, clearly this patient's in type 2 respiratory failure and pretty unwell. So if 
as you suggested, that you were to rescind the DNAR form if the patient were to subsequently have a cardiac arrest or a respiratory arrest, then they may undergo unnecessary treatment. So it's important before any such actions are carried out that due diligence is made. And so you look at that from a clinical perspective, escalated to a more senior colleague and really consider whether rescinding the DNAR form is appropriate because often if patients unnecessarily receive resuscitation when it's futile, and has previously been deemed to be futile, then that's, you know, patient can, patients can come to harm. And, and you know, and our, one of our pillars of medical ethics is non maleficence And, you know, we should really have uh, the best interest of the patient uh, before, we, uh, uh, before we make any action. Um, so I think those are the sort of points that I would make as part of an answer. Um, and I think as again, uh, you know, as with any ethical answer, have a structure. So the SPICE um, uh, framework is very important. So seek information, read the notes, find out what discussions have been had um, and what the patient's background is so that you can be fully informed when, he, when it comes to making, you know, giving an answer to the family. Uh, patient safety is clearly important currently. Uh, one of the things that stand in the way of patient safety is that DNAR form being rescinded, and you know, and so it's important that that you seek senior support for this, um, and that maybe by taking the initiative to talk to the intensive care and to the medical consultant on call to get that information, um, uh, and um, uh, and yeah, so I think you know, and and I think you made a very you know, you've made some good points, but I think there are certain aspects that I would change to make this a full answer um, and make sure that you are very clear in terms of the information governance policy. Um, you know, not every patient will want the family to know the full details of their condition. So, you know, it's really important that that aspect is fully covered, and that you seek consent before a discussion has been had with other family members. Excellent. Okay. Okay. Uh, Full answer. Brilliant.